Well, hello again. We're back. Uh, this is not going to be easy going today. Um, we'll probably end up breaking this up into two. Uh, but today's topic, uh, again, I appreciate everybody's uh, prayers. And man, it's so good to see everyone. You all showed up. And ah, uh, man, um, again, we'll we'll edit for the questions in between. But uh, so this is a doubt uh, summary or flyover number eight. And it's, this is the way we're phrasing it. If Christianity is true, how do we explain the bad behavior of Christians? And even the bad behavior sounds like a school marm scold. Uh, we mean the gamut of bad behavior. So again, since this is a flyover, we are going from, again, you know, a, a, a Christian who claimed the name of Christ and lied or, you know, uh, snubbed someone or was just generally unpleasant or legalistic all the way to, you know, the, the televangelist uh, public fallings and failings. Um, I just want you to know, you, it's, it's, if you take seriously evangelism at all or even talking about your faith, uh, which I hope you take that seriously, that's a biblical position for people in Christ, you will meet someone with this issue. Um, someone who's had some Christian or group of Christians that now serves uh, either as a, a ready-made-at-hand excuse to uh, reject Christianity whole cloth and reject the Bible whole cloth, or uh, truly is hurt and has trust issues because of this sort of thing. Um, uh, you, the reason you will meet somebody is I've, I've I've met it so many times. If I've done after I've done just a little bit of just a little bit of digging with someone, you find this many many times at the heart of people's rejection of Christianity. Our culture pushes it pushes it. Christianity's really bad. It's really, really bad. In fact, religion is bad is how our culture pushes it. And they're constantly exaggerating and lying um, to make this narrative true and having to deny counter counter evidence uh, to that effect. But, but um, I, yeah, it, one of the statements from, and I think this came from a, a, a a Christian artist years ago was that the, the greatest single cause of atheism, and this is overstated for sure, but the greatest single cause of atheism is people that affirm Christ with their lips and deny him by their lifestyle. So um, I can remember I was watching a show, an unrelated show, when the culture started to turn to now what we're calling post-Christian. This was back in the uh, late 90s, early 2000s. There was a, a, a comedy show on one of those really, really poor extra channels of the hundreds of channels on basic or on extended cable where they just go through the all the reality show rage in the early 2000s and how foolish and stupid how increasingly more bizarre every week got and they just make jokes about how ridiculous you know either how contrived and stupid and how how this wasn't reality at all it was still a show and uh, put up or when it was a moment of of real vulnerability and honesty that didn't look set up in, in, the, in the more conspicuous or more direct way, it just looked idiotic and foolish. Uh, just idi But I can remember something unrelated. There were two comedians, 
piloting the show, and he said, here's a church here, the steeple with his hands. He did the church with his knuckles together, two hands put together, and the steeple with the two index fingers pointed up and the knuckles still locked. And then he goes and look inside, and he did his fingers as he opened his fist up and had his fingers interlocking. He said, look inside, look at all the hypocrites. Um, and it's always struck me as odd that the moral high ground in our culture that we get lectured by actors and actresses who can't even keep basic virtues in front of themselves for the most part as a, as a large group. I mean, part of this is just the danger of their vocation. They're pretending all the time, all the time pretending. But the the idea that the cesspool, the moral cesspool that is Hollywood, would t- Holly Weird, as Wave Nunley put it, would tell you where you need to improve or how to be, quote, on the right side of history, or, you know, where you're you're falling down or where you're standing up morally is, it's tragicomic. It's, it's, it's so s- stupid and sad as to be laughable. Um, the idea that their hubris would extend so far out as to think they could give you political commentary or religious commentary is, is I, I, it's breathtaking in its uh, hubris and stupidity. But a couple of books that might help you here. Um, uh, I wanted to suggest uh, an Australian evangelical Christian scholar by the name of John Dixon. He's got a book, and again, I don't agree with everything in the book, but it's a good uh, it's a good uh, way to kind of assess some of the bigger embarrassments or bigger black eyes on Christian history in the last nearly two thousand years, and that's called Bullies and Saints: An Honest Look at the Good and Evil of Christian History. Um, another one that's really really important because it it was something I. I wish I'd have had years ago, but I had to find indirectly through other sources when I would teach on this, is uh, by an agnostic historian by the name of Nathan Johnstone called The New Atheism, Myth and History. And he talks about how um, the push for the new atheist after the 9-11 attacks um, and their spate of, uh, of atheist screeds, just shouts and invective and polemics uh, that became a a quick marketing and publishing sensation between 2003 and about 2007 um, made all sorts of major blunders. And he says this is especially true. It's still relevant now online because they're repeating. They're still repeating. You know, it's like I've said before, the, the Internet's where bad arguments get resurrected, ironically enough, in a place where, you know, the majority of the, a, a third of the world claims the name of Christ. Most of the world is, is some version of theist. Um, but when you go online, you feel like you're the you're the you're the seven to eight percent of the world that goes in a different direction rather than the ninety plus percent. But uh, but it's really good. John Stone really points out how uh, the, the the most strident and loudmouth of the atheists, from the least informed to ones that said they were the most informed, make such major blunders in both exaggeration or outright lies with history to prove this point that. All religions, but especially the the world's primary, most believed religion of Christianity, is really deeply bad. It, it either makes you unpleasant or massively immorally violent and bloodthirsty, and bloodlust, as a matter of fact. So um, there's good correctives, that sort of thing. Again, I used to do about oh, 25 classroom hours on this subject. Maybe I'll, I'll pull that back a little bit, probably closer, maybe 17 16 or 17 hours of total classroom time on this. So again, this is a flyover. But just, again, if if you're having trouble making a connection here, just imagine a Christian that's let you down and how you tried to mentally process. Um, it could be someone in your family. 
It could be a spouse, uh, betrayal, um, all the way up the line, right? All the way up the line, uh, you know, like, you know, the, the, the Roman Catholic Church despicable sex scandal. I mean, the, the oh my Lord, just the deplorable state of that cover-up. Um, and I and I'm even I'm not even accounting for the 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 probability that the secular world gleefully is exaggerating this. It's not even even one of these is terrible, absolutely terrible. Um, you know, we Protestants have had a, a spate of letdowns as well. You think of the Ravi Zacharias scandal uh, after his uh, oddly again after his his uh, uh, in funeral and uh, and the celebration of his life. Um, again, the, all the televangelists that have gone down publicly, uh, all the way to groups of Christians, you know, the, the favorites of atheists, the crusades, the inquisitions, the witch hunts, um, you know, the, the, the wars of theology and biblical wars, um, you know, again, uh, secularists love, again, uh, pointing this out, you know, the place where God's honored the most, the Middle East is where there's the most violent fighting. Uh, even the light versions, L-I-T, you know, light versions like Mark Driscoll, who didn't break any law or do anything, but just was a, a, a narcissistic, unpleasant, uh, you know, seemingly unchrist-like in some ways leader, but also had a lot of had a lot of positive things happen in his ministry that people that drew people. Um, but all the way down to someone in a youth group that's mildly unpleasant or dull or even sanctimonious. Um, I, again, I could bring this right in our backyard. Uh, the scandal here years ago um, with uh, the executive pastor, uh, the, the the greatest mar on the history and the and the legacy of of our pastor, our old uh, the pastor just transitioned out after 30, 34 years. Um, you know, he, he was almost given the keys to the church before it all came out. The uh, the embezzlement and the adulteries. Um. Yeah, one of my brightest students uh, up at Mount Perrin uh, was a girl, we'll call her name Samantha. Well, that wasn't her name, but she was a committed atheist that got grandfathered into our school. Um, she demanded a meeting once with the principal where she wanted to report on me because I suggested the students that really were were truly Christian would pray for her that she wouldn't go to hell. Um, she was a high-functioning intellectual uh, she went out of her way to get better grades than these dull-minded Christians. But she would actively go and try to recruit people out of Christianity at our lunch, at our private school, at our Christian conservative covenant school. Uh, and then I'd find out about the content she'd say, and I'd challenge in class. I wouldn't challenge her directly, but I'd say, if you heard this, this is why this is a, a, a trash uh, skepticism, a lowbrow skepticism, and this is what I'd say to it. If you want to interact on this or anybody wants to interact on this, just as far as a pantomime or playing around, we can do that. Well, she calls me and demands a meeting with a principal in the office. I went for it. I, Of course, you want me to. I, she came in and said, you need to go to the office in your planning period because I made it with uh, the principal. <laughs> and I said, you mean go to the office to get in trouble for telling Christians to pray for your soul? I will absolutely be there. So when we did go, our principal used the opportunity to ask her why she continued on at her school. And she said, well, it's a good education, and I don't want to start over. And friends are hard to make at this point. She was 17, and uh, that's funny from all the wisdom of a 17-year-old. Um, but 
ultimately she said, well, look, I was a Christian when I said yes to this place before we moved to the new property. And so, you know, unless you're going to take anybody's doubt and she goes, I could be a Christian tomorrow. In other words, she was really trying to protect herself in there. Um, but what had happened to her? What had happened to her? Her dad was a worship leader at a really small Protestant church there in North Georgia. He had fallen in love with another married woman and they had taken off, run off together and left both their families. And her mother struggled mightily to make ends meet. Um, they had literally four or five different streams of uh, income from family and, and grants to keep her at our school. Uh, so it was a really terrible situation. She had a hate for all things Christian that she transferred from her former worship pastor father to everyone else. Um, we tried our best, but she hated Christianity and God because she is classic, uh, tragic transference. Uh, some years ago, a leader that will remain unnamed, uh, who was our liaison between FGCU and FSW and our campus, uh, he was on support and in some ways uh, uh, had a partial salary from our church, um, was a leader there. And there were, there were red flags with his leadership, uh, you know, just that you would guess were probably just more maturing things. Well, his wife ended up uh, having a heroin addiction, had had multiple adulterous affairs in their young, not, not yet five-year-old marriage, had demanded to preach and teach and do small groups and even worked at the church for a little while as an admin. Um, she had, been, had multiple affairs uh, with her drug dealer. Uh, when this broke and found out, all the secret sins uh, came forth, flooding forth in this in his deep grief um, that this happened. And it was it, it should have sunk the ministries, and it's just the grace of God that it didn't sink uh, the the Chi Alpha and and First Assembly Ministries con connection there. It was just it literally was the grace of God. Um, listen on the on the Roman Catholic Church scandal. Uh, this is a a a, a atheist convert to Christianity and Ed Fezzer, a brilliant philosopher. The current Roman Catholic Church scandal is very different. Even in the current low state of the church and society, no one wants to defend predatory perverts and those who cover for them, much less take them on board as close advisors, priests, or pastors. Nor are there theological nuances here that might seem to provide the guilty a means of finessing the gravity of their offenses. The situation is easily understood, and given its salaciousness, bound to draw the attention and disapproval even of people who ordinarily take no interest in church affairs. This isn't some abstract doctrinal controversy. It's the question of what the Pope and the Cardinals closest to him knew about. Under these circumstances, refusing to comment except to smear your accusers only lends plausibility to the accusations. I just wanted to say this as we begin here. First, this hits close to home with all of us. And I hope we can talk to one another in here as Christians, especially so many mature, Bible-loving Christians in here, and talk to one another about how you've made it through, what suggestions you can give that you've made it through when you've been deeply disappointed by a group of Christians that were strangers or acquaintances or even very, very close to you, a, a, a betrayal by a Christian friend, spouse, family member. Um, and then dealing with, again, the, 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 the smear campaign by our culture on this as well. I want to take a moment here now and just pray, Lord Jesus, we pray for all the Roman Catholic brothers and sisters out there that truly love you, that have gone uh, into this denomination uh, to find you, um, that you would just help them, Lord, find more of your truth, get more committed to the Bible and thinking biblically than they ever have. Lord, I can't imagine 
the scandal being so widespread on the East Coast in Boston, New York, and, and even worse recently we're finding out in Pennsylvania. Uh, gracious God, the, the, the diocese there. I also pray for grace for these Roman Catholics with regard to this Pope, uh, a train wreck, Pope Francis, for a variety of good reasons, that you would just, that your grace would show through, Lord, and, and that where this this 65% of the Christians in the world denomination, uh, where their weaknesses are, that you'll shore them up, Lord, and that uh, you'll, you'll have this denomination uh, operate in a way that's pleasing to you and show true repentance and confession, Heavenly Father, and not, again, misdirection and, uh, and, and uh, secrecy. So we thank you for this and pray for our Roman Catholic brothers and sisters. So, uh, John Chrysostom, that's John the Golden Tongue, one of the greatest, most popular, most, uh, most uh, eloquent and uh, uh, rhetorically gifted speakers and pre preachers and Bible thinkers in the uh, ancient world, John Chrysostom uh, said this, Christians damage Christ's cause more by more than his enemies and foes. That Christians end up damaging Christ's cause more than enemies and foes. Now again, um, let me just lay my cards on the table here. Um, I am of the position that there's more good than bad, far more good than bad in Christianity and in Christian true Christian implementation and application. I've got good evidence of that as well. So whenever I speak about these sort of things, I want you to remember this Billy Graham story. And the Billy Graham story is this. When he was on uh, Larry King Live, one of the many times, Larry looked at him and said, some of your friends have had some pretty public failures especially with regard to those that have uh, engaged in the television world. He's thinking of Jim Baker, Jimmy Swaggart. And Billy Graham looked at Larry and said, what do you do with this? What do you say about this? This, this mars your religion. And Billy Graham didn't flinch, said these are, these are troubling for sure. And I don't want to minimize it. But he goes, would you, Billy, Billy said, would you, uh, Larry, would you say that I encounter more pastors and Christian leaders than you do? And Larry looked at him and said, yeah, basically gave him a look like, don't patronize me. Of course that's true. He's like, well, I've spent significant time setting up events in their cities, staying in their homes, looking at their ministries. Said, yeah. He said, well, I'm going to put it this way. There are far more pastors that are faithful that I've encountered than those that even had red flags attending them, much less ones that failed. But I look at it like we do airplanes. Uh, and he said, well, I don't understand. He said, well, thousands of airplanes take off and land unceremoniously, have a successful, we did it, and get exactly what the customer wanted and the way the provider wanted to provide it. He goes, those don't make the newspapers. The crashes do and the death toll. He said, so uh, that's the way I view Christian scandal or Christian, quote, Christian scandal or issue. That's where, that's where I, 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 okay. Let's understand the problem. You can see this part of your handout. <clears throat> uh, the first baseline is to understand it's foolish to say Christians always behave like Christians. They don't. Christians don't always behave like Christians. And part of a quick response at the on the front end of this is to say very clearly this truth that sanctification or the process of holiness is indeed a process. It's progressive. <clears throat> I'm going over to the church and then I'm heading home. Okay. All right. I'll see you. Okay. Ethan, you'll have to cut that out. <laughs> anyway, I can't on here, but I'd rather you do it. Anyway, uh, so yeah, it would be a problem though, if you think about it, just reflect for a second, that if God immediately, fully and totally reprogrammed us, uh, there would be all sorts of difficulties and issues that came along with that, where God 
literally rewrote our habits, not theologically or forensically or in, in light of eternity, that's it, but literally immediately that we all had a radical reprogramming and change of mind where your will has been nullified and neutralized, not just the results of your willful disobedience and rebellion, but all the residual habits and, and, and free will decisions that are connected to it would be problematic. So, uh, again, um, this is a difficulty. I mean, again, I, I, we don't need to keep rehashing this, but this is a reliably and inevitably weaponized and exaggerated situation by our opponents. They, the idea that Christians don't always behave like Christians is always exaggerated. It's always weaponized. It's always used by our opponents. Um, and it always kind of struck me as odd. <laughs> like, again, like some, some person sitting on a fold-out chair drinking a lemonade while making fun of the runner who ran and only jumped 10 of the 12 hurdles in front of him and fell down. At least the Christian is attempting to live within a moral framework. Um, the atheist doesn't even pretend to have an objective moral framework and can't even live up to their own, even under the consistency of their own imagined moral framework. So uh, inconsistency is a, is a commonality. Uh, and it, it always drove me crazy that the atheist looks like they're, again, uh, you know, laughing at the person attempting and at least showing a showing some sort of initiative and attempting to do something. It's like this odd saying that has a little bit of truth in it, calling someone a try-hard, where you're mocking them and scoffing at them for trying. Uh, now, again, usually it's at something fairly trivial that they're trying at, but when it's a global thing that's just sort of supposed to cover everything, it's it's really a, uh, a, a very modern... Uh, scoff or mock or slogan against any initiative or industry, which is frightening, honestly, if you think about the implications. But uh, so, yeah, there, there are two different types of this Christians don't always behave like Christians or this issue of Christians behaving badly. Um, one is institutionally, right? That, that there are groups of Christians that have put a black eye on our history. Uh, one, you know, you think of many uh, the Crusades, the Inquisitions, the theological wars of past history. There's not many of them. Um, the witch hunts, uh, the, the, again, the abuse scandals. Um, I, I'll say something on that here in a second. Um, well, no, I'll say it right now. So institutionally, the reason um, I want to stop here is because there's a couple of things uh, going on. Well, I'll wait till I get to person. But there's, I used to do probably about, oh, I don't know, a, a number of hours teaching on this subject and trying to balance the spreadsheet out. Uh, of people, our opponents, that use Inquisition, Crusades, witch hunts to batter Christians into submission to understand that what they're advocating for is horrible for the individual and horrible for the society. And minimally, it makes you an unpleasant person. Again, maximally, it makes you blood bloodthirsty, bloodlust. Um, I, again, I'd spend all sorts of time on this sort of thing. Just, again, not not trying to modify or make excuses, but to say... These are the most exaggerated and least understood uh, events in human history that are key events because they're connected to our worldview. Uh, but because they get exaggerated and mentioned and used so often, um, just you know, like any other historic event, uh, sometimes it takes us being very, very careful to try to get all the all the nuance and, and issue involved with it. So, for example, 
very, very few people I've ever quizzed know this about the Crusades, at least the, the dread Spanish Inquisition. We'll just use that. So the, well, we'll start with the Crusades. The Crusades were an entirely defensive measure. The implication you get when you read an atheist blogger or even some that are published by some questionable publishing houses is that if Christians remain in power too long, they just naturally and inevitably violate and abuse instead of establish uh, human rights and human value all the way down. And by the way, intrinsically rather than functionally, that part of just conception and you being an image bearer of God versus you doing something to get uh, value conferred upon you. Um in the Crusades, like I said, this is not something that just sort of happened with a bunch of princes and kings and in Europe just decided to go down and you know, uh, go after some brown people. That just isn't the way it went down. So it was an entirely defensive reaction to, his, the, to the ramping of, of Islamic conquest, annexation, and violence. So it was for sure a, uh, a fraught with all sorts of difficulties and uh, applied in a horrible way. But at the end of the day, it helps to understand it was a rescue effort. And Christians aren't in principle against a rescue effort. What about the, the dread Spanish Inquisition? 400, thereabouts, 400-year dread Spanish Inquisition. Many, many don't know the details around this, that it was largely a political situation where Ferdinand and Isabella were trying to establish um, who was for the, the new regime and who was really uh, there economically, but you know could would do you know would do anything they could to, to the minute they could to betray them and uh, give the land back into the hands of the Muslims or away from the the Spanish crown. Many people don't know that the Pope at the time Sixtus, the sitting Pope in Rome, did not want to give his best and brightest monks, best educated monks. For this, uh, this this government project in Spain at the time, and resisted it until he was threatened with Spain removing their armadas and making them vulnerable to violent Muslims, and that's when he gave his uh, some of his best theologians and monks uh, to Ferdinand and Isabella for this project. He even tried to stop it a couple of years in, in the way it was going politically. He didn't. He didn't think the church needed to be involved in that sort of thing and released a papal bull, which is a papal stop order theologically by the person who's supposed to be theologically the, the closest thing to a Christ example on earth, and they ignored it. So many people don't know these sort of things about inquisitions, crusades, witch hunts, witch hunts. Um, in Dan Brown's god-awful book, The Da Vinci Code, that was all the rage for some unknown reason uh, where he could say it was fiction, but he was making his, his main claim— his main character uh, was was making historic claims that were supposed to be grounded in true history in a fictionalized environment, um, so he could kind of always protect himself from fact checking in that way. Um, but it, it it was one of those things where I was asked to speak in churches quite a bit on the. But they said there were millions and millions of witches killed uh, in the witch hunts, and it it just isn't the case. Um, that that's that that's the the case, especially when it talked about the American. Another exaggeration was that they were all drowned in cages. Which, if you think for a moment, if you're dropping a cage into a lake with a singular or multiple witches in it, that's a very expensive endeavor. If you're talking about millions and millions, both of which are inaccurate and uh, and massive exaggerations, minimally, maximally, they're outright deceptions with regard to this true event that happened. Um, 
What about not only institutionally, but personally? So a professing Christian you know cheats on their spouse, lies, is inexplicably cruel, snubs somebody else, is unpleasant. Um, this can happen as well, where someone's first taste of Christianity is very, very negative. Or their taste of someone who's supposed to be an authority figure, who's been seated a lot of authority or weight in their Christian walk. Um, you know, hypocrisy is a big, big, big deal. Um, there's a difference between a hypocrite and somebody who just fails to hit the mark and is imperfect. Um, sometimes this is exploited by people who really want to discredit, so they take any sin or mistake as hypocrisy when, in fact, it's just failing or missing the mark. Um, but hypocrisy requires more than that. It requires an intentional and willful deception that you're actually something you're not, that you keep trying to hide the fact that you're... So again, uh, this is largely alleviated through consistent and honest confession to each other. Again, something the Protestants don't do because the Roman Catholics have institutionalized it so much and, and added so much uh, theological and historic freight to it. You know, I've often said that uh, Protestants are so scared of confession because they're afraid we'll put a box around the, the pastor and the congregant and then start prescribing a certain number of prayers over a certain time period until they sin again, which is, you know, again, a something Protestants desperately want to avoid. Or turning to you reveling in your immorality and all the bad things you've done is kind of a weird reverse cred where you, again, revel in the immorality and the sin nature, um, you know, where it becomes Jerry Springer. Or you're just airing your bad laundry for sensationalistic purposes, at least the worst part of, you know, who we are. So, key question, why is bad Christian behavior so troubling? So, um, it's troubling because not only other sins, but our own sins can cause us doubts. Uh, and then, again, when you meet a no-commitment atheist or agnostic who appears morally better or morally or, ex or ethically excellent, it, it, the contrast hits home. It's difficult. But be sure, there's things going on in the background um, that you're not aware of. It doesn't necessarily always mean bad we're going to talk a little bit about common grace as well, but let's talk about the different responses to the problem. The first wrong response, we're going to learn through what to avoid because remember, the Christian life's all about balance, right? Holy Spirit-powered balance. So when we respond to the problem of Christians behaving badly and how we process and deal with that without, uh, you know, without destabilizing everything in our lives, the first wrong response is the one that a lot of churches take, which is nothing to see here. And it's the one I'm worried about when I try to balance the ledger sheets to the atheist exaggeration and deception on these subjects. It can look like I'm saying, oh, there's really nothing to see here. Again, I'm going to put my cards on the table. I am of the opinion there is so much more good that even the worst exaggeration about witch hunts, crusades, and... Uh, uh, Christians behaving badly, Roman Catholic Church denominational scandals, leader scandals, they're, they are in a sea of positivity of the Holy Spirit doing authentic milestone, glory unto glory work in people's lives. Again, uh, it's a fallen, compromised world. You're always going to have that. But I think it's you have to bypass all these other good things and exaggerate the bad things. And then just one more step in this apologetic as well. One more step further. It, it it doesn't hold a candle to the amount of violence unleashed by institutional utopian atheism. It's not even close to the death tolls of just the 20th century, which my favorite one of my favorite atheists, Nietzsche, 
in a weird sort of non-Christian prof- prophetic moment, said that the 20th century be the bloodiest in human history because with God functionally out of the mental picture to ground your ethics, all you're left with is a animalistic will to power. One animal dominates another. The human's an animal, an evolved animal, it dominates another. So ethics are no longer, they're decided by who has more power or resources. And that means the one who has the most power and resources will determine who's valuable and who's not. And then you see the the death toll, as he predicted, being the bloodiest in human history. It's it's bloodier. Now, part of, part of this is post-industrialization, and you can more quickly and efficiently, unfortunately, kill people in the 20th century. But there are, there's a higher body count of innocent people killed by atheists than any any combination of Christian or monotheistic pogroms or or uh, Christians behaving badly and, and blood shed just in the 20th century. In fact, there are more innocent people killed in the 20th century um, than there are deaths in all the 18 or the 19 prior <laughs> to, to the 20th. So, uh, so the first wrong response is nothing to see here. So in an effort to protect the church and your, your belief system, you downplay or even sometimes outright deny the problem. Um, there's a, there, there's a, a thing I wanted you to your vocabulary word here is called hagiography. Hagiography. Uh, uh, hagiai is holy. Uh, graphos is writing, holy writing. But here's the definition, the technical definition an adulatory and idealized biography of a founder, saint, monk, nun, or icon in any of the world's religions. So here's the deal it's where we highlight the positives that this person brought to the table, and we airbrush out all the fallen negatives, especially of those that have done some, had some great, uh, excellent and outstanding kingdom outcomes. Uh, I go out of my way not to do this, not to drag, drag down the greats from the past so that, you know, you know, they're just, you know, we're not pulling that here. This isn't just a bunch of lies, hype and spin. No, I do it to make people feel like you too have the same struggles and God can use you in this way as well. It's to raise up through testimony um, other Christians that feel like I can never do something, say, like a Boniface or an Aquinas or a Methodius or an Athanasius or a St. Augustine of Hippo or, or a, you know, or a William Carey or a Francis Xavier. Uh, I, I do that for the opposite reason, not to deconstruct and drag down, but to lift up Christians. But we, what we want to do is avoid hagiography. One of it is just natural. It's just human nature and not necessarily human fallen nature. What do I mean by that? We tend to, it, it, we, we don't like to speak ill of the dead. And especially when the dead happen to be Christian and you happen to see, especially after their life, even more fruit being produced while they're physically gone and their souls in heaven than they were here. But it does nobody any good to airbrush out all the issues with uh, certain people. And sometimes when that happens, not only do you have an unrealistic picture of the imperfect person God used, but you almost have a replacement for Jesus happening. Like someone was able to achieve perfection and not be Christ here, which is sending a, 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 a number of theological red flags up and violations, heretical violations of, of the Bible. So again, um, there are lots of reasons not to be defensive. The non-Christian, I've never met a non-Christian persuaded by minimization and cover-ups. Uh, honesty and transparency is always really powerful. So again, we don't revel in glory in the former uh, issues, but we, we make sure they're there with it. Um, uh, 
we you know they're not again persuaded by by that sort of thing um, but we want to make sure that we're put they're put in proportion to the good things that happened um, another thing to remember is Christianity one of its cardinal doctrines is total depravity or at least that's one of the <laughs> the tulips in uh, a Calvinistic theology but the idea that you know even for an Arminian we are a marred flawed art piece of God um, in other words, we shouldn't be surprised that humans aren't immediately transformed all the way across the board. That even if they get a gift of being released from, say, a, a, a bondage, a, you know, those fetters forged by our passions, uh, you know, it may be like an addiction. It normally doesn't happen immediately, but if it does, we still have other parts of our character that, that need pruning and work. And, you know, any preaching that acts like the fruit of the spirit just sort of come because fruit doesn't need to be told to come that doesn't understand planting uh tilling the ground getting rid of the bugs pruning <laughs> brings them to fruition that there's holy spirit powered effort they've really gotten that that part wrong um and the gospel is all about confession and admitting of sin uh you got to own it and repent of it and not downplay it so that's that's a great part of maintaining christian humility and lifting christ up as someone very very different than you and I, but we want to be really, really clear that, uh, yeah, minimizations and cover-up doesn't really, again, it's not a persuasive thing, and it's not a helpful thing either. Um, the other wrong response we want to avoid um, is the idea that everything uh, in the church is bad. It's it's just bad. Um this is not what we want. Uh, what we want to put out, uh, you know, I've mentioned the book by Christopher Hitchens, uh, "God Is Not Great." The late Christopher Hitchens died of brain cancer. Uh, "God Is Not Great: How Religion Poisons Everything." Even other atheists trashed this book as being an, just a massive, massive uh, straw man. <laughs> what does that mean, straw man? When you create a, a kind of um, uh, imitation evidence or imitation argument and knock it down um uh it's it's a it's just again he's just overplaying his hand and many many i can remember i can remember a, a liberal agnostic named shadia drury a, a reporter saying chris hitchens can't be serious when you can look at even ma massive social moral milestones being enacted by people uh, inspired and motivated by their christian commitment to say end uh uh, 19th and 18th century slavery, uh, uh, pre and post war anti and post bellum slavery, uh, they were motivated by their Christian commitments to say that's poisoning doesn't make any sense. Or all the art produced by Christian in the past and all the institutions, this is again, this is just shading one side to make a, a lopsided argument with very little to no evidence. So when we return next week, we'll uh, continue talking about this. <laughs> Again, we're going to have to split this up into two pieces. But uh, I really want us to discuss and help edify one another so that we can... Rather, it's just going to be one of those things that you will inevitably run into that can serve as at least a beginning point for a significant amount of doubt in someone's life or a kind of cherry on top, icing on top for a hardened atheism that kind of just uh, attempts to justify and, and confirm a bias on the back end. But either way, uh, we 
probably need another session to talk about this. And again, I want to hear from you guys about how to, that we can build each other up and encourage one another and how to, how we mentally get through this and process, if we can put it into steps or helpful ideas like you've already given uh, today. And then on into uh, the second session about how uh, we do it uh, with others and can lead others to do the same thing. So look forward to seeing you next time.